Welcome to I Want That, which is an ongoing series here at Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, show that focuses on that dynamic world of Disney merch. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host is longtime themed entertainment observer Shelley Valladolid, and we're recording this on Saturday, May 2nd. Okay, for most folks here in the States, it's been, what, seven weeks since they were first told to stay home, shelter in place, work from home, stop wearing pants. Um, stop wearing so- pants? Jim, are you not wearing pants? I am wearing lounge pajamas. Um, all right. All right. So, in fact, I, I remember it wasn't all that long ago I made fun of my father for, oh, come on, you're just wearing you know, lounge pajamas. Nobody does that. And it's like he was fashion forward. Go figure. Um, okay. So, but starting this past week, we, we had a number of cities, states, and counties around the country start to slowly roll back restrictions and... Same time, everybody's still insisting we wear masks and social distancing. So how are you guys holding up under these conditions, uh, Michelle? We're we're doing okay. Um, Alice is kind of a monk, so so, uh, she's used to it. She gets worried every time I go out for my TMS treatment. But we go out, we go to the doctor's office, I get my treatment, we come home. Unless we stop for groceries or something. That we've got our masks and everything. I don't think we're anybody's actually enjoying what's going on, but I think we've all kind of gotten used to it and just hoping you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. But kind of enjoying um, ordering in to support local businesses, ah, like okay. Starbucks. Well, when you live out in the woods at the the end of a dirt road, it's like ordering in is. You know, that, that's, they, they, they just can't get the bear to stay on the bicycle. You know, Alice just, told only me makes... a story. Now, is it true that on occasion the FedEx driver will drive halfway up your hill, leave the package, and leave? Well, yeah. I mean, that's because our driveway in certain times of the year doubles as a toboggan run. So, you know, it just <laughs> it, it was interesting <laughs> this past spring. When the snow melted, to find a couple of those packages, you know. That no. Was, uh, yeah. Sorry for another time. <laughs> we don't want to upset the people at Disney Publishing who really think these books make it to the house. Um, anyway, oh, no. again, folks, this is a merch-based show, so there's been some good news in regard to merchandise. So physical shopping at uh, you know at the parks or your local Disney store hasn't really been an option since March, though. What was it? Early this week, the Simon Property Group, uh, they they own a bunch of malls around the country, and I guess they're opening 49 of them. In fact, uh, uh, for starters, I guess 21 malls in Texas. You know, since March, a lot of us have just shifted to the shopping online. And, it's so convenient. And you, yeah, but you, you were noticing because everybody's online these days that, um, you know, some of the stuff that you've been looking at or or thinking of adding to your own collection, the price has jumped, right? Well, somebody on Twitter decided they were going to show off their new collection of of, um, vintage Disney banners, you know, the felt banners that you put up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I have World Showcase one and I have a Future World one, but I, I don't have the General Epcot Center one. So I went on eBay to look at it and since those those posts were made, the prices have doubled and tripled on some of those banners. It's like uh, it's guess so. a hot item now. Yeah, I guess some of that makes sense. I mean, people are trapped at home and, you know, I mean, they're, they're so desperate for Disney in their lives. that they're. I mean, I, you must have seen some of these things on YouTube or 
people recreate their favorite, you know, <gasps> Disney theme park attractions Those are genius. in their home. Those are genius. I love <sighs> them. Um, so I, if you if you I, had I mean, to if you had to reenact a ride, what would you reenact? Actually, one of my favorite parts of DCA is that uh, the lobby of the Magic of Disney Animation with all of those oh, yeah. giant screens. Yeah. Uh, if I could figure out how to do that, how to have a, a a gallery of images that that changed, you know, that would be terrific. Well, but, Alice learned how to again, bake last time she was with you, so I'd do right. the bread tour. Ah, okay. Now, uh, speaking of which, uh, you were mentioning banners, but that's not the only uh, Disney-related item you've been chasing down? And no, for so... years I've been chasing down a set of plush from Kitchen Cabaret. And uh, about five years ago when I started, I had no chance because there was no such thing as one under $108. And this is Mr. Broccoli, Mr. Eggplant, Mr. Tomato, etc. from um, okay. the Colander Combo and Fiesta Fruit. And then about and... three years ago, I saw two of them go down to about $50. So I bought them, and I've mm -hmm. been keeping an eye out ever since for Mr. Tomato. And I saw Mr. Tomato... But he wasn't buy it now, which is the only way I can buy it. It was actual bids. So I got my husband, who is reportedly very good on sniping, to uh, get me the tomato. And he did. And that exact same day, Mr. Pineapple, Pineapple came up, up for $55. And he's super hard to find. Because everybody bought mm -hmm. broccoli, Mr. Broccoli with the glasses. Mm -hmm. And not many people bought Mr. Banana, which I'm still looking for, or Mr. Pineapple. But now I have Mr. Broccoli, Mr. Tomato, Mr. Eggplant, and uh, Mr. Pineapple with the cute, goofy mug. Now, now I have to admit, when, when we were pre-gaming and you were talking about this, I, I did my due diligence and went back and you know, look back at the history of Kitchen Cabaret. And interesting thing, it, it, that closed back in January of 1994. And then I think it was, wasn't it like a year to the day? Oh, I that, have a good uh, story I forgot about. David Mumford mm -hmm. told me, um, mm -hmm. uh, not too long after that, actually, he came to visit us. He said that when he went into the model shop at Imagineering to see this you know like um they do cardboard mock-ups before they make the actual and model sometimes like they did one of okay, indiana jones we're talking about food food rocks, rocks right? yeah and he okay. said um yeah look, that cardboard model looks pretty good when are you going to do the real model and they said this is the real model <sighs> yeah um well you know the, the interesting thing you know about, that show had uh, great lighting you know it did. It did. It had killer lighting. But uh, but the thing is, again, it closed. Uh, the original Kitchen Cabaret closed January of 1994. Uh, it was only 12 weeks later, on, on March 26th, that Food Rocks opened. So, you know, when you have, you know, a 12-week-long redo, there's only so much you can do. Though, uh, oddly enough, uh, Len and I were just talking about this. Hi, that, you know, I mean, Joe Rohde, the redo or, you know, the change out from Twilight Zone, uh, you know, Tower of Terror 
to Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, only five months long. And, you know, uh, that was not just a, you know, put in a new lighting package and, you know, uh, lightly change out AA figures and that sort of thing. I mean, that was a top to bottom, you know, amazing. It was. Rethink, redo, it was amazing. You know, but. but um, I forgot Joe did of course, that. Food yeah, Rocks. That was, that's such great. That's Alice's favorite attraction. Anyway, uh, Food Rocks only lasts 10 years, uh, closes down, in fact, 10 years to the day. Uh, January third, two thousand four, to the day the, you know, the original uh, Kitchen Cabaret closed, and the weird part of it is, is every so often, in fact, you can go online and and look at these images, uh, you know, because they basically what they did for soaring when they put it into uh, the land pavilion, is they took uh, a lot of the space that the theater occupied. Uh, you know, and made that into queue. And evidently, if you can get behind the walls that are set up there, there's food rock stuff, you know, ready to go right back there now. I have to ask, given that you've you know, been looking at all of this kitchen cabaret stuff for years, um, what happened merch-wise with food rocks? Because I was looking around this morning, and, and with an exception of a couple of misidentified, you know, kitchen cabaret um, pins... And I want to say that uh, Jeff Lang put together a two DVD set out ahead. Oh yeah, I love this Mousetrap DVD. This is the best. Yeah, this was done just ahead of uh, Epcot's 25th anniversary uh, back in 2007. But that's it. You know, I, I think there's a uh, a couple of T Public shirts. You know, where somebody's designed after the fact a Food Rocks logo, mm -hmm. but. Um, Again, this is Disney. Normally, these shows are supported with a full a merch uh, program, and I can't find a damn thing out there. So, um, well, the the song the birds were singing during that time was cheap, 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 cheap. Uh, this is true. So, oh, and the uh, attraction was nowhere near as beloved as Kitchen Cabaret. Yeah, that kind of goes without saying. Though I, I have to admit, I, you know, to be fair here, out of that show, the food wrapper AA figure was oddly impressive. It was the, uh, the uh, what, the one new figure that they put in. Imagine you had a dollar forty and and basically spent a dollar thirty on this figure. Uh, you know, yeah. So though, uh, speaking of, of AA figures, in fact, just today, poking around eBay trying to see what was out there for Food Rocks uh, stuff, I noticed that somebody had a pin set up of Ham and Eggs, the the comedy duo from uh, you know the original Kitchen Cabaret show, and it, it well, and and also Mr. Eggs was your was the special guest on Epcot Computer Central. Oh, jeez, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Why do that's, I only remember these things at the last minute? That's okay. Um, <laughs> but what's intriguing to me is I was looking at him and, you know, the, the bushy eyebrows, the round face shape, you know, the whole schmear. And it just occurred to me that this looks a lot, awful lot, like Albertino. The, the, you know, the, the... Yeah, and I never would have seen it. I never would have seen it. But when you put it in the show notes, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, he's exactly right. Well, you know, you're exactly right. And and for those of you who who don't know who Albertino is, he was 
a longtime, uh, you know, a show writer at Imagineering. In fact, uh, uh, Mark Davis, when he was working on the original Bear Band show. And re remember, back in the day, you can, in fact, in, in the wonderful new Mark Davis in his own words, two-volume set that Pete Doctor and Chris Merritt put together. They and have it, right now, right now, it's marked down from $150 to $99 on Amazon. We just picked up a copy. Wow. Well Sorry worth getting, folks. But that they... In the bear band section of this two-volume set, they walk you through. I mean, Mark was literally spitballing. You know that that you know there was, uh, you know there was what one version where the the bears played Dixieland. There was one version where they were kind of a small town uh, brass band from the turn of the century. And and the story is I've always heard it. It was um, it was Al who turned to Mark and said, look, you know, why don't we go country Western music? Why don't we go that? The bluegrass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that finally sort of broke the back of, you know, what, you know, the way to do the show and, and, and Mark's way of paying, uh, you know, Al back was to put him in the show that, that, that's, you know, he's big Al. You know, in fact, you know, that, that if you, you look at a picture of big Al from the show and you pick, look at a picture of Albertino, or more to the point, and you look at a picture of, of, of Ham from Kitchen Cabaret, same guy. So we're talking about Epcot, so we might as well uh, touch base on the, um, what is it, the Wishable series, which which continues to move forward. We had, They're so cute. They are, but, but in March they had, uh, they actually did a, a set that keyed off of the Flower and Garden Festival while over at the studios. Uh, they made a set that keyed off of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway uh, available. Interesting thing, you know, for April, uh, you know, of course, the parks were closed, but, you know, you can still tr get or try to get these figures. Because remember, they're, they're, they're blind, uh, the equivalent of a blind box. Uh, right. But they, they launched a Pandora, the World of Avatar series, and... A Monsters, Inc. Mike and Sully to the Rescue series. Um, and I guess that's what finally caught my attention. It's like, oh, they, they, they do them for both coasts. And, but then I felt like an idiot because I went back and looked. And the very first set that was launched in April of last year was the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. So it's like, oh, yeah, Jim, they do them for the West Coast. So um, anyway, okay, so we were just talking about ebay this past week i love ebay for the access it gives me to research materials you know that i'm, I'm constantly chasing down uh you know copies of old eyes and ears or disneyland lines or newsreels that i then use for the research for shows like this but but this past week we we got kind of a a, a different taste from ebay at least disney fans did um, do you do you want to talk about the Joe Rody designer ears fiasco? I never want to speak of it again, but yes, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Joe Rody came out with these great ears, mm -hmm. and uh, well, put I, them on Shop Disney, mm -hmm. and and uh, and if, they if, sold if, out in less than one minute. And this is due to something called bots, mm -hmm. which is programs that buy things for you. Okay. And, um, and so now they're on eBay starting at $350, and the original price was $78. Yeah. They were on eBay within moments. 
I don't know. It, it, it's one of these things where it's like, I I get because first of all, it's a seventy eight dollar set of of you know designer you know Mickey ears for adults. So, do we have any idea how many were made for this run? I have no idea. Okay. The problem a lot of people are having is that Disney doesn't really treat it as a problem. They made their sales. You know, I guess from their side of the fence, it's, yeah, they went clean on them. You know, you're somebody who works on the retail side of of Disney. The last thing you want is to go over to the outlet store and have a shelf of something like this, you know, something that, you know, was designed and had a high price point and just sitting there, you know, marked down. That means, you know, you failed. So this time around to to have the entire run of them go clean uh, and in turn, you know, on the secondary market. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you mentioned they start at 350. Today when I was over there, there's at least one of them that's listed, you know, for a buy it now for a thousand dollars. And, you know, I know that's lunacy, you know, nobody's actually going to purchase it at that price point. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I I think you make a valid point. It went clean. So, hey, success, you know, um, and but at the same time, the, the number of folks who are sitting at home now, and and this is their only way to shop, you know. You know, speaking of, weren't there? I, I think Alice was telling me about that. There were there've been some issues lately with Shop Disney. That that what the site's been hanging or, uh, and it's just because of demand. Yeah, interesting. But, um, I went on there today, and everything mm. seemed to work smoothly. I was looking um, at those uh, walk around the world bricks since we had mm. one. Yeah, those are on sale now. Twenty nine ninety nine. If you're walk around the world participant, click the little walk around the world thing, and I'm, maybe they ask you for for uh, mm-hmm. proof or not. I'm not sure, but they, mm-hmm. there's an inscription on the back of the brick. If you're an annual pass holder or DVC member, same. There's an inscription on the back of the brick. Twenty nine dollars for twenty nine ninety nine. You've got three lines of text and a date, and but the three lines of text are only ten characters. So, yeah. 29.95 for, you know, a commemorative brick seems reasonable, especially compared to what I just spent for a book, which we'll talk about on the second half of today's show. And we're back. Um, uh, folks, on the last I Want That, Michelle and I uh, talked at length about 1979's The Black Hole, uh, which was originally put into development by Disney Studios because executives, they were obsessed with the enormous success of two disaster movies that had been produced by Irwin Allen, 1972's The Poseidon Adventure and 1974's Towering Inferno. Uh, well, as I want that listener Pauline S. recently pointed out, uh, Disney executives' obsession with those Irwin Allen movies didn't just end with the studio trying to develop its own disaster movie, uh, one this time would be set in space. Uh, Pauline sent along a listener comment that said, Loved your show about uh, Disney executives wanting to copy the success of Poseidon Adventure in Towering Inferno by making their own disaster movie. But did you notice right after those movies were released in theaters in the early 70s, Disney then started casting performers who had appeared in Irwin Allen movies in their own films? And Pauline cites Shelley Winters and Red Buttons from Poseidon Adventure. Uh, They appeared in Pete's Dragon in 77. That's right. And then... 
Then Ernest Borgnine and Roddy McDowell, uh, also from the Presented Adventure, appeared in the Black Hole in 79. <coughs> to uh, Pauline for pointing that out, I, I don't know if it's entirely fair to lump Roddy McDowell in uh, with those three, because he actually began appearing in films for Walt Disney Productions as far back as December of 65. He was in the uh, original Bat Down Cat. Yeah. There we go. That is an interesting point. You know, the, the, the number of, of Irwin Allen veterans who, who pop up in uh, Pete's Dragon and Black Hole. You know, Michelle, this is a two-way street. I, uh, earlier this week, I got a copy of the, fan, the Fantasy Worlds of Irwin Allen, which is this 598-page coffee table book uh, filled with over 2,000 images from the various films and television series that the Master of Disaster worked on uh, during his, God, 30-plus year uh, career in uh, producing film and television. And anyway, as I was reading through Jeff Bond's incredibly well-researched text, I learned that, that Irwin Allen was a wee bit obsessed with Walt Disney himself. For example, that when Walt had a huge success uh, with his own live-action version of a Jules Verne book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Irwin decided to make his own movie based on a, a Verne book, which is 1962's Five Weeks in a Balloon, which I loved as a, a little kid. It, you know, it, it, it popped up one night on like a, a Friday night CBS movie, and you know, that, that since then, it was just a, a, a favorite go-to film of mine. Meanwhile, given the popularity of Disney's big screen animated adaptations of classic children's stories like Peter Pan and Snow White, Irwin Allen decided to produce his own lavish version of Alice in Wonderland. I remember which actually it. Aired, I remember it was yeah, really good. It, um, everybody's in everybody it. Everybody was in know, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, get it. Catherine Burton. Richard Burton's daughter was Alice, I think. Uh, Kate Burton. Kate Burton. Not entirely sure on that. I know Kate may have actually done a stage version of Alice, but yeah, I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, Jonathan Winters, Red Buttons, Telly, Telly Savalas, you know, I mean, oh, everybody. Right. In this thing. He was the, the turtle, the mock turtle, right? Yep. Yes. No, Al. No. I get wait. A... <laughs> was he the Gryphon? No, he was actually the Cheshire. You know, and that's but that's the thing. Everybody's under fifteen hundred pounds of makeup, so you know, and and it's the first time the the Cheshire Cat basically has been bald. But that's another story. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, that this was so successful that uh, he began prepping Pinocchio as a follow-up project. It was the same plan. You know, it was going to air on CBS over you know multiple nights, and unfortunately, uh, at this point. Irwin was kind of having some health issues and uh, was basically forced into retirement. And in fact, it, it wasn't all that long, you know, December or excuse me, November of '91 that we lost him. And this is the part of the story that always fascinates me: that Irwin, for a very brief time, was also in the theme park business. 20th Century Fox buys Marine <coughs> Land of the Pacific back in 1973. We were pre-gaming. You never never got to this 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 part. No, we lived right? down it in San Diego. 20th Century Fox turned to Irwin and it's like, you know, can you tell us how to fix this? Can you help us connect with, with audiences? And he's like, sure. And he sends 212 craftsmen down to Marine Land of the Pacific uh, ahead of the 1974 holiday season where 
uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to turn it into a winter wonderland with the world's tallest Christmas tree and 10,000 tons of real snow. And studio plows $500,000 into this of program. 1974 which, money. 1974 money. And But the problem is they, they basically get the 1974 version of the Mickey Mouse Circus oh. from Disneyland. Yeah, you know, that that loses all of its money and all people do is complain about it. But uh, Michelle, you you have a couple of stories about Marineland, right? With the, speaking of which, you know, that that you know, the, that it's what? It's actually old, older than Disneyland, right? Yeah. Um my uh my problem with it is what happened to it. Um, it got bought up by SeaWorld, and they closed it. Hard, hardcore Brace Ivanovic, uh, but SeaWorld. Yeah, the the yeah the textbook company that that owned SeaWorld. In fact, the, the textbook company that that bought SeaWorld out from under Universal. <laughs> you know that's you know the the, the famous story of uh, Lou Wasserman. Universal could have been in the Orlando theme park market years ahead right. of time he put in a bid and as the story goes they actually heard through secondhand sources from SeaWorld. it's like another company has come in and it's like you're gonna get a bid and you know and it was one of these things it's like literally can you raise your bid by fifty thousand dollars because otherwise you're gonna lose you know, SeaWorld. and lou was like you know, no, that's not how I do business. I made my bid. You either accept my bid or you don't accept my bid. And, and sure enough, Universal loses uh, to Harcourt Brace Ivanovich. And uh, I want to say it's Sidney Scheinberg, the, the gentleman who was actually in charge of the parks, that, you know, every so often he'd be up in Lou Wasserman's office, you know, and he'd, Lou would be work, looking down at Universal Hollywood and contemplating. And, you know, every so often he'd admit, we should have bought SeaWorld. We should have raised our bid. You know, just, you know, that it was a mistake that haunted him for years. But, um, well, but yeah, in the that, end, that, it worked you know, out, Lou. Yeah, I guess so. No, no, no. Speaking of, of uh, you know, Hollywood and movies, you know, can you talk a little bit about the movies that were actually shot at Marine Well, Land? the one we were talking about was uh, Marine yeah. Land Circus, and that's starring the mm-hmm. Munsters. And I, the yes, yes, you can go. You can go online right now. Uh, this was a, a hour-long special that aired on CBS back in 1965. Uh, unfortunately, there's only like a minute. You know, it literally looks like the trailer that they put out or the the commercial they put out to promote this TV special. Now, the other uh, but the you, other you thing can, pops into my head is when Beverly Hillbillies went to Marineland because Granny wanted to put Jethro into the Marines, the U.S. Marines. That, uh, no, that I have to place down. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you're not not really in the mood to work that hard, uh, folks, you, you, can, you can at least see the spectacular view that you used to have when you were at uh, Marineland of the Pacific because uh, that's where what three of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies yes. Yes. were shot. In fact, that wonderful scene um, in uh, the original uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, where Jack Sparrow is making his final escape at the end of the movie, and you this you almost caught Jack Sparrow, and he tumbles off the the wall of the fort. The fort is actually built. Uh, they are on the side of Old Marine, uh, Old Marine Land of the Pacific. Oh, oh, um, 
in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2. Uh, when you, you're watching, uh, what, Will Turner and Elizabeth's wedding being disrupted, uh, that's there. That Again, you're on site at, at the old Marineland Park. Anyway, folks, um, getting back to the fantasy worlds of Irwin Allen now. Um, and again, <laughs> we were talking about, you know, compared to a $29 commemorative brick this book's a little expensive you know it's 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 70 it starts at 79.99 uh and between shipping and taxes you know this can easily ramp up over 100 bucks and and that's not even for the autographed edition which by the way uh that goes for 124 dollars and 99 cents you know you can get it autographed by the the author jeff bond but like you can also the second Autograph, uh, Billy Moby, Lost hey, in Facebook Space. Friends. Um, Do you remember when we went to that uh, show in Miami and that weird guy, I was like eight months pregnant. We went down with Arlen and that weird guy wouldn't leave me alone and okay. Billy Moby put me behind his table. I, I I do not remember that, but I, I, I you know. He's been my I, hero ever since. You know, I was just telling, I just recently came across, uh, speaking of us going to conventions and sci-fi people, I just came across that photograph of Marina Sirtis. Uh, Marina with Sirtis. Alice. Yes, with she Alice. She tried to yes. steal our baby. Um, Alice. <laughs> she did. She did. She did that. It's Marina Sirtis sitting behind an autograph table at a Star Trek convention, holding onto our daughter, and it's like, would you like to come home with me? <laughs> so yeah, in hindsight, she should have no. taken her up in the auburn. But anyway, um, okay. But, but you know, I, I, again, for me, it was it, it's one of these things where it's like, do you get the seventy nine dollar edition of the book, or do you get the hundred and twenty four dollar? And sometimes you have to splurge, yeah. folks, because you want to support people. You want to support places that you know. I mean, for, for example, this book was published by the Creatures Features folks. I want to say that right behind this, they're prepping a book about uh, Rod Serling, and I want to say about the Night Gallery mm -hmm. show. You want to be in these sorts of, you know, people's corner. And let's talk about somebody you like to support, uh, Michelle, and that's Stuart Ng. Yes, S T U A R T N G B O O K S dot com. Mm -hmm. Stewarding books. Um, and just uh, give folks a little history on the store. It, it started out small in 97. Uh, they, they sold rare and out-of-print art books at a teeny tiny shop on Crenshaw Boulevard in Torrance, And now California. they're on Western. Uh, <laughs> and easier to find. Yeah. Uh, in, in a, yes, 3,000-square-foot uh, store, uh, also in Torrance. Sure to ceiling. Um, now, mind you. Uh, Animation and art book. Now, I, I, I want to stress here, like so many uh, folks who work in retail right now, you know, uh, in this period, you know, uh, pandemic Well, Alice period. just waved me over and got my attention and said, they're delivering during the coronavirus mess. They are. They are. The, the store, the physical store is, is temporarily closed uh, to shoppers. However... Uh, they're taking orders at the website, Stuart Ng Books, and again, that's S-T-U-A-R-T-I-N-G. No I, no I, just N-G. No N-G, uh, books. And items that are ordered online are shipped out every other day. Uh, they're also doing curbside pickup. Um, so, and if you, you want to talk with somebody in person, a Stuart Ng uh, staff member is available to take your calls and then handle 
phone orders. Uh, but but you, Alice and Noah, have have been to to Stewart's store countless times at this point. It What's is your... an animation fan's wonderland. Everywhere you look, there is something amazing and incredible. He uh-huh. has a big huge stack of original Hirschfelds. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah, I thought of you when I saw them. He's got a Nautilus. Mm-hmm. He's got just amazing stuff. Okay. He's even got Happy Beaver by Jeff Pigeon. <laughs> oh, oh, Mr. Pigeon. Um, he I, does you know, a weird mix, but not really, because it's it's he seems to have felt exactly what animation art fans like, and so in the back part of the store, over on the left, you've got your um, up and coming coming artist sketchbooks and artist sketchbooks, and if you don't know what that is, um, it's little books that artists put out, um, and it's the great equalizer. Because they're usually self-published, and sometimes it's a known artist, and a lot of times it's not a known artist. They're all about the same price. They all have, it's just a book full of beautiful art, or fun art, or exciting art. Alice loves to go and pick up sketchbooks at the, at the conventions and at Stewarding. You know, speaking of which, given that it's been a couple of years since I've actually managed to make it to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, I should. I need to to reach out to Stuart and see if he's got any of Chris Sanders' most recent sketchbooks. I think the last one I have is six from 2013. Well, the thing about Stuart is he actually goes to the cons to buy the books. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just get them straight from the publisher. So most of them are signed. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh, and, and speaking of things I missed out on, uh, 2018 was the 25th anniversary of the initial theatrical release of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. I was pulling together, you know, this week's I Want That, and found at the Bradford Exchange, you know, the, the commemorative plates people, they did some really crazy things to commemorate Nightmare's 25th anniversary, including a Nightmare Before Christmas cuckoo clock, uh, where uh, on the album... This, this is the one with zero, right? That's right. Zero pops out every hour, and it it plays the sort of ramp up to this is Halloween uh, every hour as the ghosts and the pumpkins on the clock light up. When we were putting together this week's show, Michelle, you were talking about how, given your druthers, you prefer the real stuff in regard to Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Just like when uh, during the tram tour, in 94, when Alice was just a baby, they had uh, the actual sets of Halloween Town and such there at the end of the tram ride, and I spent way too much time and took way too many pictures. Do you remember the story about, you know, because remember that that, that I, I want to say they changed out that space, uh, eventually gave it over to the American Film Institute, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, every six months or so, the... Um, the the displays there would change out. And do you, do you remember what we were told about what happened to the nightmare stuff? Yes, yes. Um, they uh, kept very little of it because the film was not an immediate success, and they trashed the rest. Well, you and see, and that's yeah. I, I that basically, as I understand it, you know, it was 
you know, it will cost this much to ship it back to California. And if I had and, known, if I had known, yeah. Jim, do you know what our living room would have looked like? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> though, though, interestingly <laughs> enough, I think, you know, I think that the guy who'd be most upset to hear about this would be Dan Lanigan. Um, I, have you seen his his new show for for Disney Plus, Prop Culture? Um, no, I've heard just, about it. I haven't watched it yet. Just trying to get the whole debuted, family together to watch it. Yeah, uh, just debuted uh, the first set of eight on uh, May first, and it's this wonderful, basically half hour long show where Dan, who uh, is a is a different sort of, of prop collector. In fact, uh, Drew Taylor and I were talking about this and. When Drew heard the show was coming down the pipe, it's like, oh, I don't know. As you were just telling about the, you know, the Billy Moomy in Miami story, sometimes prop guys can get a little weird, you know, the, 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 can, mm-hmm. you know, the folks who, who tread this side of the seat. Where Dan kind of buries the needle in the other direction. I mean, for example, in the Mary Poppins episode of Prop Culture, uh, it's actually Becky Klein. At the, uh, you know, it, it who's in charge of the Disney Archive, who, you know, I love her. tells this story. Yeah, no, no, Becky's Becky's great, but Becky tells the story about how, you know, that, you know, the 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 carpet bag from the original Mary Poppins movie back in the nineteen sixties actually got given away as part of a, a promotion. Uh, you know, I, I forget which chocolate company it was that that did it, but uh, the, the the number one prize in this contest was the carpet bag from Mary Poppins with $10,000 in it. And the person who won it, the folks who were in charge of the promotional campaign, went to the guy's house with the, the, you know, with the carpet bag and the money. And the guy was like, well, nothing personal, but I just want the money. And so the advertising executive takes the bag home, and it, it stays in his attic for like 30 years. And anyway, long story short, uh, Dan uh, you know, and friends learn about this bag. And not only arrange to, you know, to get it from the family, but they then turn around and donate it to the Disney Archive. Cause, oh, that's you know, great. To dance. Well, that's the thing. That, that was, you know, any, you know, any other collector of the planet, mine. You know, and it's oh, like, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, yeah. da- you know, Dan's way of thinking was, no, this belongs in the Disney, you know, again, it's the Anna Jones. Jones. This this belongs in a museum, and it was a kind of delightful to have a guy with that sensibility, you know, to the effect that no, we should get this back to to Disney. Uh, but anyway, uh, highly recommend you check out that show. Back to Nightmare. It's a little strange, or at least it seems a little strange to me that you know, again, twenty fifth anniversary of Nightmare was two years ago. But here's Hallmark. In fact, they just published their Keepsake Ornaments uh, catalog for 2020. I, and saw, I man, saw the Star uh, Wars one. Yeah, they, 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 they are impressive. Uh, kind of feel bad uh, you know, for the, uh, the ornaments that were made to key off of you know, Dwayne Johnson's Jungle Cruise movie. But, you know, hey... The thing that, that genuinely intrigued me was how heavily Hallmark has leaned into Nightmare this year. Uh, you know, first and foremost, they have a trio Nightmare storytelling elements, or excuse me, ornaments. Starting on July 11th, they put out a Jack and a Sally. Now, mind you, a little pricey, uh, uh, $34.99 each. Um, That's high for an ornament. If, 
Well, but here's the thing, that if you, you plug it in to the keepsake power cord, uh, which, by the way, is sold separately, Jack and Sally then interact with one another and supposedly recreate moments for the movie. And then the kicker is that uh, starting on, I want to say, yes, October 3rd, uh, they release a Santa Claus ornament. And now the three characters can interact and recreate your favorite moments from Nightmare. Uh, by the way, likenesses are really great. Jack is sculpted by Sharon Visker. And both Sally and Santa are sculpted by Emma Ledecker Smith. Um, That's good to know. And here's the thing that, that genuinely fascinates me is that in addition to the storyteller elements, um, they've clearly Hallmark has decided that there's enough folks who love Haunted Mansion Holiday at, at, at Disneyland Park that they've decided to go the mini tree route. So the idea is that you could set up a, a Christmas tree on your desk, say, in October, and then it could stay there straight through the holidays because, I mean, Just they've like got Haunted this, this whole... Well, yeah, but, but it, it starts with a, a pumpkin head jack tree topper. Uh, they then, and in fact, this is what made me think of the, the display at, at the old Disney MGM tram tour uh, post-show building. They've got a set of uh, eight ornaments you can hang on the tree that are all different jack faces uh, from the film. Yeah. Alice has, and then a, it finishes has a jack that has a bunch of different heads. Oh, okay. Um, and then the kicker is they have this tree skirt, little black uh, foot-wide uh, tree skirt that, that has the vampire teddy bear and the, what, the possessed duck <laughs> from from Nightmare. You know, Haunted Mansion Holiday. That stayed open really late this year, right? I mean, it didn't close till January 21st. And that was, what, largely because the, the mansion was supposed to undergo a fairly lengthy rehab. Yeah, in fact, right? they... They took the roof off and replaced that one uh, pane of glass that had the bullet hole in it. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it was oh, a okay. big, big rehab. But it looks like um, it's going to close Haunted Mansion Holiday and reopen Haunted Mansion Holiday. That's my guess. Yeah, I guess so. You know. Now, now speaking of which, though, you've been lucky enough to, I mean, you were among the, some of the very first people to actually get to experience Haunted Mansion Holiday, because you were there for, what, the press event back in October of, of 2001? Right, right, I was, and, and I took Alice with me, because mm -hmm. this was the Wild West, and you could take your kid with you. <laughs> can, can, can you talk about what happened with Alice at this event? Yes, um, Stacia Martin was there drawing pictures for people, and mm -hmm. I asked her to draw a Daisy Duck for Al, and um, mm -hmm. while we were waiting... Jack and Sally came up to Alice and asked if she wanted to go on their ride again. And they took off with my daughter, and, and uh, apparently they sat on the floor of the uh, stretching room playing for a while and then did the ride. <laughs> Just to be clear here, we are talking about uh, you know, the walk-around versions of Jack and Sally from the yeah. park. The, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> just... You know that that they 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 weren't serving magic mushrooms at the the, the <laughs> press event that we know of. Uh, but yeah, I just uh, no, I love that story. I love you know, and again, 
uh, it explains a, a, a lot about who our daughter became based on the fact that, yeah, hang on with them, flirt with them. So you, you mentioned that, look, at this point, uh, we don't know when Disneyland Park is reopening, you know, so, you know, it, it, it is entirely possible that, you know, that the, the very next thing we'll see uh, for Haunted Mansion is Haunted Mansion Holiday. Though, as long as we're talking about things we're not sure about, folks, the event uh, that Michelle and I talked about previously, our Disney Springs thing that, for all we know, is still going to be presented at the Walt Disney World Resort from November 13th through the 16th this year. But again, here's the problem. Um, we're, like so many people, you know, waiting for information from Disney. You know, there have been indications lately. State of Florida is, is putting guidelines in place to, to reopen the theme parks, but we don't know how they're going to reopen and in what order and how much of stuff is going to be up out of the ground. You know, take, for example, at this Disney Springs thing, we were planning on taking the group to go see uh, the new Cirque du Soleil show, uh, Drawn to Life. And likewise, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're looking forward to spending the evening sipping hot chocolate and walking down Christmas Tree Lane at Disney Springs. And based on what friends at that resort are telling me, both of those are kind of up in the air right now. But everything's up in the air right now. Our partners on this project, the storybook destinations, they are still gun ho. They still very much want to do this. They, you know, they so enjoyed dealing with the folks that have been to the three previous events. What they're doing at this point is collecting names. You know, if you're interested in taking part in this event with myself and Michelle and Dustin Fuse, uh, that's it exactly. So head on over to Storybook Destinations and give them your name and your contact info. And when we know what we're doing, we'll let you know. And hopefully we'll be able to go forward at this point. So, uh, you know, that's it. I, I think it's important at this point that we all stay upbeat and optimistic. Hope that we'll be in a better place sometime later this <laughs> later this year. You know, I'm, I'm hoping later this month, no. but eh, later this year. <laughs> no, probably. no, Jim. <laughs> all right. Uh, if people are looking for a distraction until we get news about what's going on later this year, where else can they find you online, Michelle? Right for uh, Mice Chat. MiceChat.com. Okay. Uh, definitely a site to check out. Let's see. My Side of the Fence, uh, the Disney Dish podcast with Len Testa. Likewise, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Uh, looking at Lucasfilm with the one, the only, Dan Z. Uh, we have the Marvelous Disney podcast. Uh, I'm going to be recording a new one of those with Aaron in a couple of days. Of course, Universal Joint with, with Dustin Fuse, who will be uh, joining myself and Michelle at the Disney Springs thing. Um, i tell you what, folks, uh, if you could do uh, Michelle and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend uh, this show, that would be very helpful. Uh, what would really, really be helpful if you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Social media-wise, uh, any place folks can find you online, Michelle? Or? At Pink Monorail um, on Instagram and Twitter. Very cool. Okay. Jim Hill Media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Over at Facebook, we are Jim Hill Media News. I guess that's the news for now, folks, but uh, we will try to be back in two weeks' time with a brand new show. Until then, uh, <laughs> just you know, if you're headed over to eBay, you know, just, just be 
it's a little self-discipline, you know, that, that's, you know, you, you don't, you, you repeat after me, you don't need an $1,000 set of Joe Rody ears. Says you. Um, <laughs>